Welcome to the Leaders Who Care, a podcast powered by Dynamis Group. We are here to give the stage and support to those committed to create a positive and lasting impact way beyond the profits and margins, the leaders of the world who care for others and serve a bigger purpose. Join us on the journey of creating a better, more caring world. And now to your host, Marian Tamalkov. Happy Wednesday, dear audience. Uh, today we have the privilege to welcome uh, a really a special guest, someone who is really deeply passionate about and committed uh, a lot of uh, her life in the search for more equitable and sustainable world. We have uh, Carolina Garcia Arvalares. Welcome, Carolina. Thank you for joining us today and uh, uh, welcome on the Leaders Who Care. Hello, Marianne. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to be part of this conversation and to be part of this podcast. Well, you're one of the world's young ambassadors, you know, one of the 88 women in the world's chosen the, the home world bound leadership program in the Antarctic expedition in 2019. And also you were a co-founder of the Steel New Sustainable Fashion for Children startup. So, and at the same time, you're a global sustainability innovation director at uh, InBev, a company we most of us know and really uh, respect, especially around the World Cup. You know, thank you for providing, <laughs> really uh, uh, taking care of, of all the ones who, who love joy and, uh, and entertainment. So, um, please uh, tell us more about your passion. Um, what what led you to that search? How did you get to your uh, uh, your your really mission and, and what you do? Well, that's an interesting story. I was, I'm Colombian, so I was born in Colombia, and Colombia is one of the most biodiverse countries in the whole world. So growing up, I, I was always surrounded by nature. It's easy. Even if you live in a big city in Bogota, only a couple of like minutes away from the city, and you'll find amazing nature. So I grew up in this beautiful place, and I always felt the love towards nature and my parents always fostered that but of course while growing up I wasn't aware of the environmental crisis that we were facing I think that younger people nowadays and you can see it in the youth movement are way more aware than my generation was um, and at the same time I always wanted to, to be a lawyer I always wanted to, to work with justice uh, and while, when I was in law school uh, one course that was that changed my life was international environmental law because at that moment in time, I realized the big crisis the world was facing and how the international community at the time was trying to overcome them. So that started to grow on me and that's when I decided when I was in law school that I wanted to dedicate my life towards sustainability. At the same time, I was doing a minor in journalism and I really loved telling stories and like managing to tell people what was happening uh, around. Uh, so actually, after I after I finished law school, uh, I joined a, a media company and began working on journalism to tell uh, sustainability stories. Little did I know, and I never expected to work for the private sector. I can tell you that story uh, in a minute. But I think that. Very early in my career, I understood that I wanted to, to dedicate my life to build a more sustainable future. And one of the main reasons why it became clear to me is because we have a big responsibility. Our generation has a big responsibility. We're the first ones that are actually feeling that irreversible impact of climate change. But unfortunately, and that's a very big responsibility for us. We are the last one that can actually do something um, to halt the climate crisis, to halt biodiversity loss, and of course, uh, to build a better future, a future that we deserve, right? Uh, for us and of course, for, for the generations to come. No, thank you for sharing that. And what a wonderful, I'm yet to visit uh, Colombia really, uh, uh, from what I hear, a great country. So really honor and appreciate your your work and what you have been doing over the years and uh, your inspiration. Um, tell us more of, uh, there's a lot of speculation on one end in saying, uh, 
all this uh, what is happening around the world is you know some some people speculate it's is actually not exactly the truth the other saying actually we're too late uh tell us from your perspective where do we stand uh today in terms of really the the climate change itself and um what needs to happen in our lifetime to make a difference well I think when it comes to addressing the climate crisis, we cannot be naive. So we need to be blunt about the facts. And of course, the facts are that we, it has taken us a lot of time to act and we have not acted with the urgency uh, that is needed. And I think that is undeniable. I was just reading like the other day, this, this article that was posted in the New York Times like more than 60 years ago, uh, talking about a climate change and the peril that we could face if we conti continued in that trajectory. So we've known for many decades already that um, this is a, a very big risk for humanity, of course, and, and for the planet and for other species and for all of us. Um, and of course, um, so far, um, many irreversible damage will happen. And I'll give you an example from Colombia, for example. We are uh, right in the equatorial line in the Andean mountain range, and our glaciers in Colombia, no matter what we do, will potentially disappear within this decade. They have been already melting, and that's irreversible, irreversible damage. This is something that globally is called loss and damage. So we need to acknowledge that some damage already is irreversible. However, and this is a podcast called Leaders Who Care, and I think that every leader, because everyone out there, of course, it's a leader that needs to play an important role in shaping this future. I think that we all need to be impatient optimists, stubborn optimists, that these can be reversed. I think something that really inspires me is that even though humanity is responsible for the crisis that we're facing, of course, we are the only species that actually has the ability also to regenerate and to shape the planet. So imagine how wonderful it is to think that we, as humanity, can also regenerate and build a better future, perhaps a better world than the one that we have lived in already. So I think that that should be the vision um, that fuels us uh, in order to, to work and to work relentlessly to, to build that. Because right now we are in a crossroads. If we continue the way that we have uh, for the past decades, the future is not going to be prosperous. The future is going to be scary, of course, because facing a world that it's already like three degrees or four degrees warmer than it used to be before the Industrial Revolution, uh, it's a scary one for sure. But I think that we also have the opportunity to choose better, to build a resilient, a regenerative future for the generations to come, a future that is fueled by a green energy, a future where nature becomes regenerating again, where we use technology and innovation to live better and improve our livelihood. So, so since we are in that crossroads, I think that we just need to all align and, and choose right. And, and perhaps this is one of the most interesting moments for humanity because we have common challenges we have been able to overcome common challenges in the past. Most recently, all the global action towards addressing COVID was very inspiring uh, uh, to see. Uh, and I think that right now we need to join all of efforts uh, and all of our financial flows and all of our actions towards addressing uh, these problems that we are facing in this century and that will affect us in this century. Because, and I will finish with this because as you can see, I, I can talk a lot, of, a, a lot about this, but um one of the the biggest issues that has happened is that people think that these problems can be addressed in the future by the generations to come by the leaders of tomorrow and then the truth is is that the leaders of tomorrow we can't not wait for them we need to be the leaders today uh, and that's the challenge that we're facing thank you for sharing that uh view and and i love the hope there because you're absolutely right. We can regenerate. And I'm just, uh, I'm very optimistic, natural optimist for the future. And I believe we can do a lot of great things. And I see a lot of good moves here in Europe, especially with the European Union. I see that more and more goods, services, uh, what you buy will be tracked and chased, where it comes from. 
uh, is it sold sustainably, and that can have a direct impact on the on, on really the whether you can sell a product or not. So uh, that's when you hit that angle of of the the cost and the really the the ability to sell a product directly linked to how it's sourced then becomes very powerful it, it could see a change very quickly you know and, and that can cascade you know around the world we also have a challenge that we have the, developed obviously more uh, uh nations that that already mature in many ways and you have the growing developing nations that may not have the sources and funds to to fund the, the growth of their population how to make it sustainable what are your thoughts who who needs to pay the bill you know how should we really uh, um deal with with that uh, situation because the countries who will not they may want to do it but they may not have the resources to do it um how could this be done in a way that um it is sustainable and also um it's uh, it can be done uh, sooner rather than later rather than just waiting for more 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 difficult moments well to the question who needs to pay the bill i think everyone needs to pay the bill we all need to contribute but of course not in the same capacity because we don't have the same capacity uh, to contribute uh, but i think that that dichotomy like for many years the, the climate movement was affected between this um struggle between developed nations and emerging nations uh, yep. where emerging nations uh, were saying to the developed nations like you developed um emitting carbon uh, now it's our time we also need to do it right so so we cannot uh, have the same responsibility and of course there's a lot of truth in, in in that it's called historical responsibility and it's undeniable but at the same time you know it's it's a dichotomy that um helps you from acting and i think right now for emerging nations like colombia uh, we need to see in technology and in green innovations the way to leapfrog towards development. We don't need to develop like Europe did in the Industrial Revolution uh, in the 1800s, right? Uh, we can do it in a different way because technology is available, technology that is even now cost-effective and competitive for our country. So um, I think this is also a great opportunity for emerging nations, for sure. But, but we need uh, to do it intentionally, right? We need to do it intentionally, this transition. Uh, on the other hand, of course, we need uh, developed countries and, uh, and developed nations uh, to address and, and of course, uh, provide the, the, the allocated funds um, that are needed. But something that I think is very inspiring about the, the Paris Agreement and one of the reasons why it was managed um, to be adopted is that they basically gave every nation the responsibility of going back home, analyzing with their best experts what would be their contribution. But this was a responsibility for absolutely every nation um, in the world, right? Every nation that was part of the UNFCCC and part of the discussions. So this meant that even if you were a, a high-income developed nation or if you were an emerging economy, you, everyone, in, the, in their capacity needed to say uh, what they were going to do to contribute towards this uh, common goal. And those are basically the nationally determined contributions that are the, um, like every country's uh, contribution uh, towards uh, the Paris Agreement. That said, as we have seen, what everyone has put on the table, it's not enough. So unfortunately, even though countries went back home, uh, talked to their experts and said, okay, we're going to uh, reduce this level of emissions. Uh, now we have aggregated all of those commitments and we know for a fact that they are insufficient um, for the future. So we need to reassess that and we need to give the extra mile. And I think that there uh, is a big um, opportunity also for other type of actors. Uh, so for, for instance, that the private sector the private sector, and that's why I'm so inspired to work at a company like AB InBev, but the private sector has a huge role to play uh, in this transition because, of course, uh, it is responsible for many of the emissions of the world, for sure, but because it's part of the problem, it's also a pivotal part of the solution. So if you think of the private sector uh, and how it operates cross countries and through giant value chains, 
there is a huge uh, opportunity to create transformational impact, um, of course. So we need this uh, change within the DNA of companies. They have many advantages at their side. They are agile and they can also cascade policies uh, towards different countries and cross countries. Um, so I think that there's a big opportunity there. And also a big opportunity in other types of actors like, uh, like cities and the role of local governments where sometimes policies are easier to implement at a national level. Uh, and then of course, citizens, grassroots movements, academia, we all need to play our part. Like we all need wherever we are to use our influence, our like level of, of influence to move towards the right direction. And at the end, like if we don't do it, like we are all going to, to suffer the consequences and we are all going to have to pay the bill. If we want the bill to be lower, we need to act fast and we need to act ambitious now. But at the end of the day, we, we, we all need to, to pay the bill. Being with the AV InBev you know, during the past uh, several years, working on sustainability at local, regional, and global scale, um, tell us more about the, this role and, and what are you hoping to achieve? What, what is your, because you talk about obviously the role of the private sector and, and you're absolutely right, there's so much that can be done there. Um, what does the role uh, really entails um, and uh, uh, what what would you what, what would you hope to see? Well, it has been such an amazing journey. I joined the company. It's going to be in February six years, uh, and it would have asked my uh, teenage Carolina uh, when she was sixteen or when she was eighteen, starting university. I would have never ever thought that I would join the private sector. I, it, that didn't interest me. I was into like as I was telling you. I want to work on justice. And then I fell in love with the environmental movement while in law school. And then I wanted to tell stories as a journalist. And But working for as a journalist and then working for NGOs, I worked um, for almost four years at the World Wildlife Fund, so the NGO with the panda, and they taught me so many things. It, it is home. Um, but working um, in the civil movement as a journalist and then in policy and advocacy, it became very clear to me that if we don't change the private sector's DNA, it's going to be impossible to address all of these crises, right? Like we've already talked about the climate crisis, which is very, very hard to address, but there are many others right now. And, and just like very soon, um, leaders are going to meet in Montreal to, to discuss biodiversity laws and, and how we can address um, the, the problems that we're facing with nature, of course. So when this became apparent, um, and especially after the, the Paris Agreement was adopted, I, I decided to join the, the private sector. And, and at the beginning, you know, I was like a panda undercover. I felt that I wanted to be like a understand how these crazy people at the private sector thought, how could I influence them, how was their mindset. And very easily when I joined AB InBev, I, I fell in love uh, with the company because I fell in love with the um, uh, capacity that you have uh, in the private sector um, to create change, which is fast, which is scalable, which is tangible. Um, and I think that AB InBev, like many other companies, for the last decade, they have been undergoing a very rapid change in their journey towards including sustainability in their core, in their DNA, to making sustainability an enabler of growth for the future, the way that they are thinking to build the company for the next 100 plus years. And in the case of a company like AB InBev, you know, we are brewers, we produce beer, and beer is made out of natural ingredients, right? So if you don't have a thriving environment if you don't have thriving communities of course it's going to be impossible um, to produce beer and i think that the company um, truly acknowledges so that like as a context and then like what it's my role now my role now i i love it i've had different roles throughout the company and but throughout these six years i have been working uh, leading sustainability at different uh, levels and in different projects water has been one of the key areas for me, like developing and building many of the water stewardship projects that we have. But my current role, I love it because um, it fills me with reasons to believe. Because if 
if you work on sustainability, uh, well, you know that the future is daunting, right? That the climate facts, the bio, like the biodiversity laws, that there's so many. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. So you need reasons to believe, to to be an impatient optimist, as as we were mentioning. So right now I'm working on sustainability and innovation, and I think that this is an intersection that fills you with many reasons to believe. And in AB InBev. In 2018, we launched this amazing program that it's the 100 plus uh, accelerator, which I have the honor to, to co-lead. Um, and basically, um, this program aims to partner with innovators, startups all across the world, these emerging <laughs> companies, right, that are um, building innovative solutions towards addressing the most pressing challenges of our time, challenges that, are, that the industry is facing, but of course, that the world is facing. For example, eliminating single-use plastic or measuring water quality in real time or changing our fleets uh, from a one powered by diesel trucks to EVs or, and hydrogen trucks, amongst others. And we began in 2018 calling for applications, putting these challenges outside uh, and sourcing these um, startups and innovators that had an answer on how to address these challenges. And then we selected them. We gave them each up to $100,000 to implement their solution in our value chain. And if successful, we helped them grow and scale. And for uh, two years, we had really successful results. And then something wonderful happened that also gave me many reasons to believe. And is uh, in 2020, the Coca-Cola company, Unilever and Colgate Palmolive decided to join our efforts. So for our third cohort and our fourth cohort. So ever since we began, since 2021, um, four of the largest companies in the world united and joined forces to boost a, a more sustainable future through innovation. So now we are all partners working together in the 100 plus accelerator and partnering with startups, sharing best practices, doing joint pilots. Um, and it has been great because um, another very important thing that we as leaders need to know is that at these pressing moments in time, the most important thing is radical collaboration. There's no space for, for egos in corporations. There's no space for egos in leadership either. We, we all need to work together as a big team. And fostering these platforms where non-usual suspects like competitors like decided to partner and work together and leave their competition aside for a greater future. I think it's it's truly inspiring for me and it gives me the reasons to believe that we were just discussing that you need if you are going to address all of these challenges. Uh, I'm very optimistic about the future. I feel like really a lot of those companies are coming together, especially the private sector, the leaders, the entrepreneurs, you know, really can play their part and uh, you mentioned something very interesting, innovations, crossing over with sustainability and addressing those challenges. So that is really uh, a very positive to see um, and uh, keep doing and growing uh, really uh, uh, what you do. What is your advice for companies that are not yet joined that uh, uh, cohort or joined these efforts? Any advice for, for those organizations that are undecided yet, how to guide them, and, or especially leaders that are on that, they need to do something, but they don't know where to start? Yes, my, my biggest advice is to understand that first, that the things or the enabling conditions that helped companies and organizations be great in the last century are not the same than in this century. In this century, the main factor, and this I truly believe, of success of your organization is going to be whether you're a sustainable, resilient, regenerative company or not. So you need to start that transition. I don't think there's one organization right now, even though there are many companies that have huge leadership in this space, and ABMBEP, of course, is one of them. But I don't think that there's one company right now that we can say it's fully regenerative. Of course not. We're all facing that transition and that transition comes with challenges and it's not easy. And we need to learn across the way and we need to convert <laughs> leaders that didn't have this mindset. And, and I don't want to 
also be naive about the hurdles of the transition because they are. But we, all the organizations need to start this journey. Otherwise, you're going to be out of the game. So it, this is my first message. It's not philanthropic. It's not philanthropic. It's not you're not doing it because this is charity or, or because you are saving the world. You're doing it because if you don't do it, like your company is not going to have a chance uh, to prosper. And of course, in a bigger picture, we're doing it because if we don't do it, humanity is not going to stand a chance to prosper, right? Which is, is like a bigger vision that your company or your like individual project. Um, so that would be my first advice. But of course, um, it's hard and it can be uh, difficult. So I think that the first thing is to start informing yourself. We are so privileged that there's so much information out there right now. Like there's no excuse for not um, being able to, to, to learn about all of these um, subjects. And then I think it's like building roadmaps that you can achieve milestone by milestone uh, throughout the next years. Companies have that ability like or, or the advantage that we plan and we plan for the future and we plan a one-year plan and then a five-year plan and then a 10-year plan and we can think long-term. So maybe your first year, it's all about understanding where you're at. It's all about measuring before even taking an action. And then the next year is to start taking actions, right? And even if you are not as ambitious at the beginning because you're in this journey, it, what it's truly important is that um, that you start redirecting towards towards this direction and start uh, achieving achieving milestones. And and then you can, of course as you learn and, and grow, become uh, more ambitious. So that would be my advice for uh, companies that are still not doing it. Um, um, that's, well, the sooner, uh, the better. And is there any membership organizations that, uh, especially in US or Europe, that they could find information or just some advice of, of the, I guess, the, the major ones that they may look up to? Well, currently, there's so many platforms for action, like, honestly, <laughs> and I was recently talking about that. Sometimes there are as many platforms that you are like, you don't even know in which one to participate because there's a lot of challenges. Which one do I join? <laughs> <laughs> which is, a, which is, for example, a very nice problem to have, right? Like that there's yeah, yeah, yeah. opportunities to, to partner and excel of information. That's a, that's a nice problem to have. But well, easily the global compact for example it's the initiative of the un that like gathers the private sector and that it's building guidelines and um, and support uh, towards companies that are addressing um, and contributing to the achievement of the un sdgs and um, so i think that that could be a very like easy uh, platform uh, to find information from and there's then a million of uh, other initiatives one that i really loved for example is the climate leadership works um which is this initiative uh, founded and led by al gore but basically his um foundation uh, has dedicated um towards uh, building climate leaders uh, all around the world i don't know if you've had them on the podcast but they are really amazing and maybe maybe it would be interesting for another episode because they have already trained like Thousands. I, I cannot give you a figure, but because I don't have it in top of my head, but more than fifteen thousand leaders uh, globally. And what's interesting about these trainings is that when uh, COVID began, they changed it into a virtual format because it, they. And now I think they are offering in person and virtual. But um, they trained uh, people on on climate change and how to communicate uh, the climate crisis, and they do it in a very um, easy to understand, very approachable way. Once you're part of the community, they give you access to all their materials, all the presentations. So for example, um, when, when we were in COVID, I told my team, okay, you should all get the training. You should all get um, certified because at the end of the day, like as climate leaders, we also need uh, more tools and more um, skills to, to better communicate um, within, within the organization. So I think that that, for example, it's a really uh, nice, uh, easy training that a leader that doesn't know how to how to start with could could have, and and I found it very uh, useful. 
Thank you for sharing that as well. And um, since just uh, uh, coming back to some of the technologies that in innovations you're most excited about, what are the things that you do, especially in your role, your organization, which uh, innovations or technologies you, you're most uh, excited about and, and really passionate about? Oh my God, there's so many. I can give you a couple of examples of the 100 plus accelerators. So of course we are trying to speed up the, the energy transition. And we, um, in our last cohort, we partner with a Chinese startup called Sunman. And what they do is that they produce ultra lightweight solar panels that are also flexible. Uh, so basically they don't use glass to produce their solar panels. So they are like 70% less heavy than a regular solar panel. And they're also flexible. So you can put it like on round surfaces. And this is great because one of the main challenges that we encountered um, when we were deploying all these renewable energy projects throughout the world is that you have roofs that were not built for solar panels. So sometimes you want to put solar panels throughout all your roofs and you have to do this huge infrastructure investment, which basically damages the business case. Something that in theory should be cost efficient and could be great with uh, energy prices nowadays, nowadays with um, with uh, renewable energy prices nowadays become impossible to pay if you have to do all this infrastructure change in your roofs. So with Sunman, basically you can put their solar panels everywhere, um, which not only makes the business case great, but also uh, it increases um, your capacity, the amount of energy that you can actually produce in the brewery because you have more uh, surface. So we already began, we already covered our Wuhan brewery in China with all of these panels and they were sending pictures the other day and I was just so happy to see uh, solar wow. panels in, our, in like um, other type of surfaces. So that's great. We're scaling it up now to other three breweries. So we are excited. That's Is that what You can buy this technology in Europe or no? Yes, of course. They are now uh, in other countries too. Um, and something that it's interesting I, on, on this energy space is that usually the way that corporates do it is that we don't have to buy the solar panels, you don't have to buy the capex, but you end up signing like power purchase agreements. So you pay the company uh, the energy price month, month to month, uh, and they do the big capex investment, which also for companies uh, makes it easier um, to install this type of technologies. And this is not for this startup. This is the way that we've been doing it all across the world uh, to achieve our target of being powered 100% by renewable electricity. So that one I love. Another one that I love and I'm biased, but, but of course, Latin America, oh, it's always very close to my heart. It's a startup called Toroto. They are Mexican. Uh, and what they, what they do, it's truly amazing because they do an intersection of many hard things um, on the one they work with communities and big landowners uh, on not on nature-based solutions and with nature-based solutions i mean reforestation projects conservation works uh, infrastructure to reduce erosion amongst others and then um, they help structure all of these projects uh, and then they help the communities get all the carbon credits out of these projects uh, and use this as an incentive to continue the transition. But they do so with amazing technology. So now every like ton of carbon that it's reduced through their project, uh, you can have total traceability of the exact location where it is. And in our case, for example, AB InBev is working with them to help our farmers in Mexico transition to regenerative agriculture, which is mm -hmm. a type of agriculture that actually stores carbon instead of emitting carbon, which is amazing for the soil, but it's not as easy to start because you need your soil um, to become, to, to like, you need to stop using, for example, traditional fertilizers. And this, of course, is hard when your soil is addicted to fertilizers and so on. And we are using uh, Toroto and, and the partnership with them to help our farmers transition to regenerative agriculture and get the carbon credits out of it as an incentive, an economic incentive, so they can continue uh, their transition. Um, and we do many other things with them, but that is also a, a, a startup that um, I'm really impressed 
with wow who gets the credit the, the this is there like uh, the, the farmers who get the credit or is it the the startup that gets the credit no the the farmers so for example in their case imagine we want to produce barley that it's low carbon barley right yeah. and our farmers if they transition to regenerative agriculture so a sustainable type of agriculture they can capture carbon in the soil they can certify this and get the carbon credits out of it and we can purchase those credits as a company for example um, and this creates an extra income for the farmer which is very important to help these communities yeah. in the transition but it also helps us because even though we are trying to decarbonize our whole uh, company there's some level of emissions that it's going to be impossible to do it all in-house. So we need to go out and and offset or inset that uh, type, that small um, delta. And it's amazing if we can do that in our value chain, if we can do it by helping our farmers transition to regenerative agriculture and by storing carbon in their soil. So this is just an example of a very circular solution, which, which I really like because it actually involves um, transforming that the value chain, right? Well, tell us one more, just to make it three. This is so inspiring. These innovations are fantastic. You know, really, really refreshing to hear. No, they they are truly amazing, and and I think that with the accelerator, we're seeing startups that are disrupting materials and finding alternative solutions and using ways to produce packaging. Uh, we're looking at startups that are. Um, treating the most polluted water in the world and making it drinkable in real time. We're looking at startups that are helping us to understand our nature risk. We're looking at startups um, that are uh, re revolutionizing food systems. And maybe the last thing that, that I would say, and then I'll, I'll give a, another example, is that some of these startups have really high-tech technology. And of course, this is important. Uh, so we have startups that are for example, we are partnering with a startup from Hungary that uh, it's developing a new type of cooler that does, that does rapid cooling. Um, so you don't have to have the cans all the time cooled in the fridge, um, which is a revolutionizing technology and it's amazing. We have other startups that are using sensors, AI, blockchain um, to help us become more efficient or to have traceability. And those are great. Like those solutions we need and those are amazing. But I also want you to think of innovation like beyond that, right? Innovation, it's not only like sophisticated technology. Sometimes you innovate doing something in a more scalable, effective way. And for example, we have this startup that I also love, which is called Chanzi, um, and they are based in Tanzania. And what they do is that they grow black soldier fly. And black soldier fly, it's this little fly that basically eats our food waste, in, in the case of AB InBev, um, our brewers spent yeast and brewers spent grain, waste that otherwise could go to a landfill and produce methane, which is also a greenhouse gas. But instead, we feed this black soldier fly. The black soldier fly eats this waste, and then uh, you can use this fly as high-value protein for feedstock to replace soy and to replace other crops that also have environmental externalities. And the innovation for Chansey is that they, one of their founders is an architect and they designed this model of building these black soldier fly facilities that are very easy to do and scalable. And now we're looking to go and scale with them in other places in Tanzania, in Kenya, and in and in South Africa. So imagine like a solution which is producing high value protein, high value insect protein could also be a solution um, to organic waste um, from companies and from the community. Because something that I, I would I would highlight is that for every ton of spent yeast, for example, that they take out of our breweries they also need to divert one ton of waste from the community. So it's also a very like 360 uh, approach. Um, so, well, all of these innovators are just filling me with so many reasons to believe. I'm, I'm so proud of them and there's so many stories. I would just like uh, invite you all to, to follow the 100 plus accelerator uh, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on our YouTube channel, to, to visit our webpage 
because we have all of these stories and we're producing videos and a lot of content that potentially will inspire you as much as they inspire me. It, it was really inspirational to hear. Thank you for giving an extra example. I just found them so interesting and uh, really innovative in what they do. That's uh, just wanted to hear more and will definitely recommend our audience to follow uh, the Accelerator 100 plus on, on the platforms as well. And uh, now talking about you personally, on top of everything, what you do, you also founder of Still New, a sustainable fashion for children startup. How did that come about and how do you manage to combine all this with, with the startup that you have? Well, as you know, I think sometimes like great ideas just come when you're like hanging out with friends and talking about the things that you care about. And, and then what's important is to materialize those ideas, no? And so that's also an invitation for all of you to, to act. And during the pandemic, I think many of us felt very disempowered, right? Like, what can we do to solve these crises that we're facing and to, to contribute um, during these present times? And of course, I have always been very inspired by all of these startups in the accelerator that are doing great stuff uh, around the world. So at that moment, um, with, with, a, with a friend in Colombia, we were discussing uh, two main problems. On the one hand, that our consumption is not sustainable. We are all buying way more things that we need, even us, because even if we work in sustainability, we also do it, right? Like, um, it's very hard to be truly sustainable, but we are in a journey. We are also in a journey, like companies are, we're also in a journey. So on the one hand, we were discussing how we needed more options. We needed to incentivize um, sustainable consumption. And another problem that we were seeing is that in pressing times, eh, the foundations or many organizations that were um, committed to building a better world were also struggling to get the funds that they needed eh, every month. So we said, okay, how can we combine these two? And, and we built up Still New, which basically what, what we did is that we were we are selling a secondhand a clothing um, from children that are from zero to 15 years old, more or less. And that it's in perfect condition uh, so you can purchase this second hand uh, and the 100 of the profit we give them to five foundations that are doing different work in colombia so one is working for example with venezuelan migrants the other one is working uh, in the amazon um to to protect uh, well the amazon rainforest and some of their key species the other one uh, it's working with um children that have been diagnosed with cancer so you know, like very different foundations that are doing amazing work. All of them are doing incredible things, but of course they also struggle to get the funds that they need month by month to keep on acting. Uh, so we launched Still New and, and it, it has been great to see, um, well, the, the impact that you can have with with um, with a, these type of, of, of initiatives, but also to see that it is possible to change consumption patterns Something that was very exciting for us to see in Still New is that we had buyers from like everywhere in the country, from very different socioeconomic backgrounds, because we made it attractive. We make it cool. It wasn't about like saving a couple of bucks. Of course, when you buy secondhand, it's more cost effective. But it was it was also playing your part. Like if you purchase in a initiative that it's like still new, you're not only reducing your environmental footprint because you're purchasing secondhand, but you're also playing a role in supporting all of these organizations. And the thing that you're buying, it's great quality, it's beautiful, it's clean, smells delicious, you know, like it's also a good consumer experience. So it was it was great. So I just wanted to, to tell you this anecdote because I think that consumers really want to... Um, play their part, or at least they say so. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity for everyone who has an idea uh, to start providing like with these alternative choices, because at the end of the day, like everyone, like every individual has a big role to play when consuming every day. And, and if we provide them with all of these uh, choices to choose better and to have an intention in every choice, it can be uh, very powerful. 
Excellent. No, thank you for really sharing and doing that as well. Um, and uh, on a personal front, there's also uh, you were on that 88 women expedition, really, uh, the whole world bound leadership program in the uh, it's an entire expedition 2019. Um, it, it sounds super exciting, of course, but uh, tell us more about that uh, journey, some of the trip highlights. What, what was was it something that really touched you? Or um, first of all, um, I, what? Uh, how, how did the soul selection happen? And and of course, secondly, what were the most uh, important highlights of that that expedition? Now that that expedition, of course, was life changing in in many ways. And just to give you context, Homeward Bound is an initiative that was founded by Fabian Datner one a great woman and Australian leader. And she wanted to build a network of women all across the world that were tackling climate change and other pressing sustainability issues and that were committed to science, right? And to empower them and to give them the tools to increase their leadership. So as you know, like in many of these spaces, there's still a big gender gap. So unfortunately, women, despite the fact that I think that woman leadership, it, it's a key piece to solve the, the climate crisis and all the crises that we're facing. Despite that, we are not having equal opportunities in the decision-making. And this is very evident and we can go through many facts, but if you just analyze the top 100 CPGs in the world, less than 5% of the CEOs are women. So of course, we're not yet in... in in an equality uh, on the decision-making process. Um, so Fabian Dattner wanted to like overcome this challenge and build this network. And she founded the Homeward Bound Project, which basically aims to, to do that, to build this network of leaders all across the world, to give them skills, tools, um, to be better leaders. Because we also need better leaders in all fronts of humanity. That's also a big crisis that we're having, a leadership crisis. Um, and why Antarctica? I think Antarctica is a very interesting space on the one hand because uh, women didn't participate in all the expeditions that were done like 100 years ago to discover and colonize uh, Antarctica. So if you look at the great explorers to Shackleton and all of that, women were not part of those expeditions. And there's like even this very famous phrase um, that uh, one pilot um, wrote down that it was like there are things that women don't do they don't become presidents they don't they they be, don't become popes and they don't go to Antarctica so as you can see like Antarctica oh. was kind of a, like a okay. for for women of course it's no longer the case we have great scientists working at the science stations in Antarctica but it had this symbol right of a, of a place that for many years was unattainable for women. Uh, that on the one hand. Second, Antarctica is perhaps like one of the places in the world where the climate crisis is very evident, right? We're seeing how the both poles in, in the planet are melting uh, at a fast pace where like the um, ecosystems, the species there uh, are being affected by this global crisis. So it, it made a lot of sense also. Uh, and also third, Antarctica, it's a very unique place in the world because no country owns Antarctica, right? It's a common territory of the world. And if you look at the Antarctica Treaty, it's also a territory of peace and science. So how beautiful it is that in the world we have a territory that is dedicated to peace and science, right? So that's Antarctica. So like all these reasons uh, to bring in these uh, almost 100 women for a month in Antarctica in a deep leadership and science journey that made us bond and connect uh, and and grow uh, so much and, and learn so much. So of course it was a life-changing experience. It's also a place that is beyond anywhere else on earth. Like um, you almost feel that you are in another planet, right? Because you like, at least for me and even more for me that I have, that I was born and raised in a in a country that doesn't have like seasons or big winters. Like being in Antarctica in this in this place was kind of surreal. But it also was very 
uh, touching for me um, for, for two reasons. And one is because even though Antarctica, it's a place where you wouldn't be able to survive for a day if you didn't have all this gear and technology that we have built as humanity. If you were left in Antarctica, like you wouldn't stand a chance of survival. Like, um, So it's a hostile environment, let's say, even though it's so, like, even if, even if that's the case, at the same time, this place, it's so vulnerable to the crisis that we have made, right? So do you see like the, the, like the vulnerability of such an imponent place? It's for me, it, it was very hard it, to, to see and acknowledge that. It, that on the one hand. And then the second one was, we were staying all month in a boat. Um, and that boat for me was an allegory of, of humanity because at the end of the day, we are all in the same boat, right? <laughs> There's no planet B. Um, and it's hard. When you're going through Antarctica, you have to cross, for example, the Drake Passage, and you have to face sometimes waves that can be up to 14 meters high. We actually did face really, really giant waves on our way back. And it's hard. Those two days where you, when you're crossing the Drake Passage, you feel sick. Um, some of you are not going to be able to move because it's very difficult and you just have to just lay down and pass it. You need someone to support you. Um, some of you won't be like, and I think that we're kind of in the Drake Passage right now as humanity, right? Like we're all having to struggle and to help each other in these pressing times. And if we do it right, then you cross the Drake Passage and you're in these beautiful calm waters uh, with the sun and, and with the beautiful scenery. So for me, that also represented a little bit of the times that we're facing, like uh, we are in the Drake Passage and it's hard and like um, sometimes it, it even feels impossible to, to overcome. But if we do it right and if we act as if we were living in the same boat and again, this uh, message of collaboration, we will perhaps arrive soon to a better future or in our case we arrived to 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 antarctica and to one of the first science stations which was of course an amazing reward after those two very hard days crossing um, the drake passage so yeah well thank you for sharing what a fascinating really uh, journey and uh, you know analogy that you've made and uh, um yeah so women have been to antarctica it's not it is not uh, you know a no-go zone. In fact, you you've made that you you've trashed that uh, belief and uh, and uh, let's say saying from the past. You know uh, that, that really Antarctica is not for women. On the contrary, and um, in the quest of really making the world more equitable and sustainable, um, what role do you think care plays in that journey? Oh, oh, it's about caring for us of course we need to care for us for our families but also care beyond us right understand that we are all part of a community and we need to care for our neighbors we need to care for the community we're part of we need to care for other species one of our biggest problems is that we have built a very anthropocentric society so everything it's like for human benefit, for human advantage. And we forgot that we are also part of the world and that we share this world with, with other species and that we are not the owners of the world. We're here as part of a bigger system. So, so I think care is potentially one of the key um, drivers uh, that will foster change, care and, and compassion. So, so yeah, that's why I really love your podcast podcast leaders who care because if a leader doesn't care that's not a leader honestly like there should not be any leader that doesn't care if, if you're a leader that doesn't care you're just a narcissist right so um we thank need you for sharing that and what, and what can we do to spread the care culture really it's just uh i think building a lot of empathy and and for that it's also important for people to know, to feel, to understand. And, and in the um, environmental crisis, 
one of our biggest challenges is that as societies become more urban and we're built, we're, we're all living in these concrete jungles. I live in New York and I love it, but you know, we're all living in these concrete jungles. People are disconnecting completely from nature and they are forgetting that we are dependent on nature, right? That we cannot exist without nature, but they, but we have become completely disconnected because we don't see nature in our daily lives. We don't know when we open the tap, we don't know this water, where does it come from? What are the challenges that it's facing, you know? So I think, for example, in this case, if we want to care about nature, we also need to go and live and explore nature. We need to feel that we're part of the planet and we need to help others with this experience because it's impossible to care about something that you have no connection with, right? So, and, and that's humans. Like if I told you, okay, this species in the Amazon is getting extinct tomorrow and you had even heard about it, why would you care? Like it's not changing anything. So we need people to, to know, to experience and to build these, um, yeah, these specific things that build connection and emotion. Just even the simple act of planting a tree, and I'll tell you because I've planted many and, you know, to see them grow, to see how hard it is, to see how many die in the process of you planting a tree, like creates a deep connection and empathy towards protecting a forest, right? Or like, I, I remember something that has always inspired me, but have you seen how Jap like, and you could see it at the World Cup, like, have you seen how Japanese, um, always at the end of every game they are like yes. taking care of the stadium and they are picking all the waste and for for me it has always been inspiring to see a culture that has this so ingrained and so when i saw this i began like like investigating a little bit of like maybe some things that they were doing in, in japan that made people act uh, so willingly after after an event like a football match uh, came and and you know like at school, it's very common in Japan that the children at school also clean the bathrooms, cook, and they take care of many things as a community. And of course, if you're taught to do this as a kid, you have a better respect for the bathroom and for the people that afterwards have to clean common spaces. And, and it's cheaper. It cuts the expenses for the school. <laughs> so, exactly. so and it's more sustainable and, and of course makes the world a better place because it really absolutely uh, get them involved in, in this in this work. It's fantastic. But building empathy, right? Like building empathy, I think it's what's important because in many common things, common things that doesn't have an owner in a very individualistic society usually suffer the tragedy of the commons. So for me, in order to build leaders who care, we need to make them care and understand why these common places, common values, common uh, things that are abstract sometimes are, are important and why do we need to take care of them? Thank you for sharing that example. And Carolina, how do you take care of yourself and others around you? <laughs> well, thank you for that question. Um, always a hard one because I think sometimes, and, and this is something that I need to learn better, and I hope that all the leaders learn better too, it's how to take care of yourself and put the oxygen mask first, because sometimes when you're a leader who cares, <laughs> sometimes you uh, deprioritize yourself, and, and that's something that uh, I struggle a lot with, and I'm sure that uh, many leaders um, do too. I think that basic things, right, like sleeping well, um, doing exercise and like keeping yourself active, uh, eating well and and nurturing yourself with things that you love, right? Like at the end of the day, like um, I love the planet, but I also love living on this planet. I'm very passionate about life and such a gift to be alive, right? So yeah. how do we also enjoy our very brief uh, passage through this planet and how do we enjoy it by and nurturing ourselves with love and by loving others. So I think that that's like perhaps the, the best recipe uh, to take care of yourself. And please do, because we need more people like you um, to live longer so they can make a bigger impact. You know, just thinking from that aspect, we it's, uh, you know, uh, in order to help the planet, you need to be strong and healthy. <laughs> so it's 
more difficult when you're not. So please do so. A final comment, a final question here. If there was no limits and you just close your eyes and, and imagine a more brighter, more really uh, uh, sustainable world, what that would look like, really? What's what's your really um, best hope for the future of our planet? Well, I think it would be a future where everyone can live live up to their their potential, that they have the equal opportunities, uh, that they of course have access to everything that's basic to have uh, a dignified livelihood, and of course to live in harmony with the, with the rest of the planet, right? Like uh, a world that regenerates, where we are not consuming more than what the planet has to offer, where we can be like breathe clean air, where um, nature is being restored, um, and where we live a happy, peaceful life, right? Like uh, at the end of the day, like that's our biggest aspiration, right? To be to live happy, peaceful lives in harmony with our community and with the planet. And if we manage to be those stewards, which we should, and which I think it's our responsibility, it would be amazing. It would be a world where you say, okay, I want to raise my kids in this world. Right now we're like, oh my God, I'm super scared to have kids and raise them in this world. That's not something that we want to write. And I think that being like, looking at humans' history and all that we've achieved, that the wonderful things and fascinating things that we have achieved, like we now have this giant task and, and I think that we can make it. Once again, Carolina, it's been uh, fantastic to have you. I uh, Blessing goes out to you, your work and your family and friends. And uh, thank you for really being a leader who cares and, and making a difference. I'm very optimistic and... Uh, Thank you for sharing those wonderful stories. It's been inspiration for many. Have a wonderful week. And once again, thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Marian. And thank you for everyone who does this great uh, initiative of the Leaders Who Care. It has been uh, amazing to, to spend this uh, morning with you. Thank you.